Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Today, we're having our Halloween sale in the Logos Online Classroom. Choose any course and enter coupon code HALLOWEEN at checkout to save 50%. Go to LogosBibleStudy.com, go to the online classroom, choose any course, and enter coupon code HALLOWEEN at checkout to save 50%. Okay, now time for the program. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Last week, we began a series of podcasts on the women of the Bible, and we had a close look at Eve, the mother of us all. This week, I'd like to move up to Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now, I have a special fondness for Sarah. Her name means princess. That was my grandmother's name. And she was indeed the family's princess. She was definitely the matriarch of the family. No one messed with grandma. The first 11 chapters of Genesis fit into the category of mythopoeic literature. That is, stories that address the fundamental issues of the human condition. Genesis 1 through 11 are what I would call the primeval chapters of Genesis. But beginning with chapter 12, we move into historical time, around 2000 BC. And we have the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The three stories unfold like a triptych. The Abraham-Isaac story, Genesis 12, verse 1 through 25, verse 18. The Isaac-Jacob story, Genesis 25, 19 through 36, 43. And the Jacob-Joseph story, Genesis 37, 1 through 50 at verse 26. We first meet Sarah, who initially is called Sarai, as Abraham is called Abram, in Genesis chapter 12. In the story of Sarah, we learn a fundamental lesson about women in the profoundly patriarchal tribal culture of the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament. Men run everything. Men are the head. But women are the neck, and they can turn the head any way they want. A woman exerts power and influence in a patriarchal tribal culture using a very different set of strategies than those used by men. So let's have a look, beginning at chapter 12, where we meet her for the first time. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, that's not a small thing. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's southern Iraq of today, down by the Persian Gulf. And as we'll find out, Abraham is 75 years old. So God tells him to leave your land and go to the place I'll tell you. Now, Abraham doesn't know very much about God. His father, Terah, was a pagan. But he'll be learning about God for sure. And God makes a promise to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. That is the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. The Abrahamic covenant. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So Abraham travels from Ur of the Chaldeans, southern Iraq of today by the Persian Gulf, 600 miles up through the Tigris-Euphrates Valley to Haran, which is in eastern Turkey of today. And then after being in Haran for a while, they head south along the Mediterranean coast into the land of Canaan. Now, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there again he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The Negev is the southern portion of Israel today, a desert region. And Abram will live in Beersheba. Now, Abram has done what God asked. He's left Ur of the Chaldeans, he's gone to Haran, then down to Canaan, and he'll be settling in the Negev. This is the land I will give you. However, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So he leaves Beersheba and he heads to Egypt. God didn't tell him to do that. He made that decision all on his own. And why Egypt? Because Egypt has the Nile River, a 4,000 mile long river flowing north that inundates every year from the mountains way south in Africa, the water flowing north and emptying into the Mediterranean and all along the Nile River. You have very fertile land and it opens into, into the Nile Delta, which flows out into the Mediterranean. Very, very fertile land. You can always count on food in Egypt. So that's where Abram goes, Egypt. Now, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is, my, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but let you live. So when we get to Egypt, they're going to take one look at you and want you for themselves. And they'll kill me. Now, I have an idea. Say that you are my sister. Tell them you're my sister. Now, there's a wonderful painting, a James Tussaud 
called Abram's Counsel to Sarai. It was done sometime between 1896 and 1902. It's in the Jewish Museum in New York. And it portrays Abram and Sarai in their tent. And Abram is gesturing with his two hands, speaking very intently to Sarai. And she's, he's going to come up with a plan. And she's thinking, you want me to do what? You have got to see the painting. Google it online. James Tassot, Abram's Council of Sarai. It's well worth it. You'll laugh. Well, Abram came to Egypt and he said, you know, it, it, when they see you, they will kill me and take you. So tell them you're my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. If they think I'm your brother, they will want to honor me. Imagine what Sarai is thinking. Now, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw indeed that she was very beautiful. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken to his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants and camels. So Abram's plan worked. He passes Sarai off as his sister and Pharaoh honors him, giving him gifts. Meanwhile, Sarai goes into the harem of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now think about that for a moment. Abram is nothing but a pimp and he's endangering Sarai. God just made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless Abraham and his descendants and all the people on earth would be blessed through him. Well, if Sarai becomes pregnant by Pharaoh, king of Egypt, cancel the plan of salvation. So what will God do? The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. <laughs> so, so Pharaoh cannot have sex with Sarai because God, well, afflicts him with a serious malady. Erectile dysfunction. Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I, I took her to be my wife. Now, here, 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 here's your wife. Take her and go. So Pharaoh gave orders about Abram and his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything, everything that he had. Ah. Does anybody have a problem with this story? I do. Well, time goes on and we find that Abraham and Sarai are now getting much older and they have no children. So the Abrahamic covenant depends upon the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, but they have no children. So if we turn over to chapter 16 of Genesis, we read, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, an Egyptian maidservant that they picked up while they were in Egypt. She said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, 
<laughs> Sarah, Sarai, is getting much older and she's yet to have children and apparently she's beyond childbearing age. So she said to Abram, have sex with my maid and perhaps she can be a surrogate mother for me. Well, I like to picture Hagar as a nubile young Egyptian woman, perhaps 17, 18 years old. Sarah said, have sex with my maidservant. So Abram said, okay. He didn't hesitate one bit. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Well, that's going to be trouble, you can be sure. But hey, good for Abraham. Now, when she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So things weren't going well in the tent of Abram. You know, every time Hagar, now three months, five months, six months pregnant, would look at Sarai, she would say, Huh, I have his child, not you. Nah, 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 nah. Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for this wrong. You're responsible for this that I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. Abraham throws his hands up and he says, oh, but you told me to do whatever you want with her. Well, Sarah mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that's beside the road to Shur. She was on the way back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel said, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said, You are now with child, and you will have a son, and you are to name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild ass of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. He'll be a wild ass of a man. Now she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, now I have seen the one who sees me. Well, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael, just like the angel had said. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. If Hagar is 17, 18 years old, and Abram is 86 years old, well, good for Abram. Now, we have Ishmael in place. Now we turn over to chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. She was 90, he was 100. Abraham gave him the name Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. 
as God commanded. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, oh, God has brought me laughter. Isaac means laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have thought, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet, I'll be darned, here I am. Well, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, uh, Abraham had a, held a great feast, big party for the weaning. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking her little boy. Now, a boy would be weaned at about three years old. So Ishmael, now a teenager, is making fun of Isaac. I imagine like brothers do, teasing him or whatever. She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. That slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. I want that woman and her bastard son out of here. The matter distressed Abraham. But God said, don't be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to what Sarah tells you. It is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. So Sarah wants Hagar and Ishmael out. And Abraham evicts them from the house. It seems rather cruel to me. But Abraham does it. God promised, I will make Ishmael's descendants into a great nation too. And indeed he does. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac will have Jacob. Jacob will have 12 sons who become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael will also have 12 sons. And his sons will become the founder of the Arab peoples. Jacob's son, Judah, becomes the ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. Ishmael's son becomes the ancestor of Muhammad. How's that for irony? Well, Ishmael is put out. I can't help but think that all that while, as Ishmael was growing up, becoming a teenager, Sarah was bitter. She mistreated Hagar, she beat Hagar, and she did not like that boy Ishmael one bit. But now she stamps her foot and demands the boy be put out and that woman. And Abraham essentially throws up his hands and says, fine, whatever. We move to chapter 22. Sometime later, how much later we're not told, but I would venture to say perhaps 30 years, because Isaac is now a full-grown young man. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Can you imagine anything, anything so shocking? Ishmael is gone. Hagar is gone. The promise, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant will run through Isaac. And now God says to Abraham, take Isaac to the place I will tell you and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Kill your son and offer him on the altar. Are you out of your mind? What could Abraham have thought? Well, we're not told, but we do learn very next verse. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So Abraham's going to do it. God tells him one night passes. And the next morning, Abraham is determined to do it. What happened during that night? There's a big gap in our text here between verses 2 and 3. And if we're to understand the story, we have to fill in the gap. Did Abraham have a good night's sleep, wake up all refreshed in the morning and went out and chopped wood? No, he, he struggled with this. You know that he did. This is his son, the son of the promise. No, he lay in bed. He struggled all night long. Talk about wrestling with demons. And what was Sarah thinking? She was right there with him. Did Abraham talk to her? Did she say to him, Abraham, what's wrong? You can't sleep tonight. What's going on? Nothing. No, there's something wrong. Tell me. Do you think Abraham could have told Sarah, oh, I'm going to, God told me tomorrow morning to take Isaac, our son, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I think Sarah would have gone ballistic. Of course not. Abraham says nothing, but he resolves to do it. Next morning, he gets up, chops the wood, off they go. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back. So they make the journey. What's Isaac thinking? We're not told. We've got another gap in the story. But once they get there after three days, imagine three days walking on the roads, the, the wood on the donkey, a whole cord of wood to consume a human being, creaking as the donkey walks. What's going on with Dad? He asked the servants. They didn't know. Abraham is pensive. He's tense. At night, when they stopped and built a campfire and ate, did Abraham eat a nice meal? No. Abraham sat in the shadows. Pensive. When they finally get to the place, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, we don't know from the Hebrew grammatically 
whether my son is in a positive or evocative. In other words, did he say, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, comma, my son, or God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, colon, my son. We don't know as readers, and Abraham didn't know either. Well, they reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built the altar, and you know how the story goes. The angel intervenes, Abraham doesn't slay his son, and they go back home. But all the while on the journey, three days to get there, three days to get back, and presumably a day or so while they were there. So over a week goes by. Sarah knows something's up, but she doesn't know what. They come back. Sarah, I imagine, breathes a sigh of relief. She asks Abraham, where did you go? Oh, we went to make a sacrifice. Ah, I see. And do you think Sarah, doting on Isaac the way she did, may have taken him aside at some point? Because Isaac is deeply troubled by all of this. Notice, as our story goes on, we'll see Isaac again, we'll see Abraham again, but Isaac will never speak to Abraham again after this scene. Never. He will leave home, he will live apart from Abraham, and he will never speak to his father again. So when he comes back, knowing what his father was going to do to him, sacrifice him as a burnt offering, do you think Isaac, something of a mama's boy, might have caved in and told Sarah what happened? I suspect he did. I think he did. And what would Sarah's reaction be? Sarah will never again speak to Abraham. Isaac will never speak to him. Sarah will never speak to him. In the very next chapter, chapter 23, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep over her. Sarah died at the age of 127 years old. She gave birth to Isaac when she was 90. So that means what? 37 years have passed so Isaac, as we enter chapter 23, is 37 years old. How old was he in chapter 22? Well, we learn once they get back, some time passed, Abraham was told Milcah is also a mother, and we have a little genealogy here. Maybe a few years go by, and then Sarah dies at 127. So if Isaac is 37 when his mother dies, he may have been perhaps 32, 33 years old in chapter 22. Just like the Lord himself, when Jesus was sacrificed on that cross in Jerusalem, his father sacrificed him on our behalf. He was about 32 33 years old. This whole sacrifice of Isaac story foreshadows 
the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Notice when God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. The region of Moriah is Jerusalem. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him in Jerusalem. That's exactly what God did for us with his son. But Sarah, I don't think she would understand any of that. After they get back, Abraham and Isaac get back, Sarah will never speak again. Isaac will never speak to Abraham again. And Sarah dies. Dies of what? I don't know. Grief, perhaps. Sarah's one tough woman. She dealt with Hagar for sure, but the story of Sarah is something of a tragic story. At least I think so. Thank you for being with me. Uh, God bless all of you uh, during the week. Look forward to being back with you with another story of a woman in the Bible. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.